Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Spice. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for making this podcast possible. If you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the library can help, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And when you do that, rate and review us. We're on all your favorite podcasting services. And when you rate and review us, it helps other people find this show. And if you have any feedback, be sure to send that my way. It's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that's srichardson at cleveland.com. If you want to tell us how good we're doing, how bad we're doing, uh, anything, just go ahead and send it my way. Uh, Before we get started this week on Ohio Matters, we uh, just kind of wanted to take a second. Um, The cleveland.com family suffered a a pretty significant loss this week. Um, um, Culture reporter Nikki Delamont was um, found dead. And um, it really kind of rocked the newsroom. I don't want to sit here and pretend like, you know, I was super close with Nikki or anything, but I really did enjoy seeing her in the newsroom. She was always very bright and vibrant and a fantastic reporter to boot. Um, We just wanted to say something, you know, real quick, kind of acknowledge it. Um, You know, I just remember, uh, you know, starting here a little more than a year ago, about a year and a half ago. And from the second I walked in the door, Nikki was very welcoming. And um, it, you know, it, it does mean a lot, like when you're, coming from somewhere else so Seth and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday but I don't think either of us are half as nice as Nikki is like put us together we you know combined we're not as nice as she is but um you know it, it, now that she's passed the kind of outpouring of support from people it's been really you know heart touching and it, I guess it makes you reflect sort of in a difficult time that you hope that you leave behind something bigger than yourself and certainly she's uh you know an illustration of how you can best do that so obviously there's no remedy to her, um, you know, life being cut short, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's something to think about, I guess, as we all try to kind of plot our course out on the world and stuff like that. I think you probably said it best yesterday. It's really easy to be hated in this profession. It's really hard to be universally loved and respected, which I think Nikki was just uh, judging by the reaction yesterday. So, uh, we just, you know, wanted to say something quick about that. Uh, before we get to the show, we have a couple of other announcements as well. This is the last episode of Ohio matters for this season. Um, it's been kind of a, uh, you know, a long march since we started this show way back in January. Um, I think we've put out probably close to 40, maybe more than 40 episodes. Yeah, um, if it were a high school yearbook, I'd say it was a long, strange journey. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, L-Y-L-A-S or whatever. Love you like a, I guess, brother, whatever. Um, so anyway, Andrew and I need a little bit of R&R from the podcast. I think everybody else probably does as well. So we are going to make this our last episode for the season. We'll be back next year. Uh, might be some changes, but it'll generally be the same show, I think. And uh, we also have one more announcement. Uh, Andrew? I'm, uh, I'm taking my talents to Columbus. Yes. Uh, don't freak out, though. He is staying with Cleveland.com. So uh, Andrew will be moving to Columbus. He's right now based in Cleveland with me. He will be moving to Columbus to become the statehouse reporter for Cleveland.com. So we'll still be doing politics just kind of on the government side. I'm sure you won't drift entirely away from politics, will you? You can't really separate the two, right? I know, right? You know, as much as we like to... Are you telling, trying to tell me that government is political? Oh, no. I mean, I, I guess I hadn't learned that from this show yet, but um, so yeah. Anyway, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. We're uh, we're gonna figure out a way to you know make this thing work with uh, being in two different cities. But I, I think you know I'm excited for the future. Yeah, it's hopefully be we'll be able to expand our. You know, we've always had to basically try to browbeat or cajole people to joining us here in Cleveland for the most part. So hopefully, me being down there will help us expand the universe of people that we can talk to. 
Yeah, soon we're just we're gonna just spread our wings everywhere eventually, right? A, po- a podcaster in every city. That's that's the goal, <laughs> the right? Chicken in every pot. Yeah. There we go. There we go. So, all right, let's go ahead and get to the episode. So last week, uh, Rich Exner and I kind of broke down some of the um, 2018 election results. Um, I don't I don't know. Is there anything left to say about the 2018 election off the top of your head? I know it's something that was weird about it, and Rich I think is digging into this a little bit more this week. But I forget the exact number was. But if you add up all the congressional votes in Ohio, uh, Republicans won. On the vote, I think, from either uh, between four and five points, and uh, yet they won 75% of the Senate seats, you know, so good job gerrymandering. Well done, guys, um, you know, but I, I think, you know, besides that sort of being a weird fact and an illustration of how the design of congressional districts really can influence sort of legislative appointments and elections, um, it's a baseline. I mean, now that we have this baseline, it'll be redrawn in 2022, but, um, but if assuming that things don't change too much, I, I think it's safe to say if you see, you know, Republicans getting a plus four result equals pretty much just like running the table. And that's that's a very narrow margin, like for the Democrats, who obviously, um, you know, have their own, you know, issues to deal with beyond sort of like the lines and stuff like that. But so I thought that was like sort of an interesting fun fact from the election. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll have to see if uh, lawmakers are still able to make the maps as hook 'em snivy as they have uh, in the past. You know, there's that ballot initiative, but who really knows how well that's going to work? I mean, you know, I, I find that uh, lawmakers rarely do something without having some kind of contingency plan for whatever it is they want to do, right? right. So, um, anyway. Uh, with the 2018 election over, I think it is time that we start focusing on 2020 because it's never too early, right? I mean, we've, you know, uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, the governor of Montana, the senator of Ohio, we're all here um, <laughs> in this before the election. And, you know, so it, it never really stops. Yeah, we'll get to let's get to the candidates in just a second. Are there what are the broad things we learned about 2020 from the 2018 election? Because one of my biggest things that I look at is. You look at this state and you look at it in 2016, it was what, plus eight for Donald Trump. You look at it this year, it's plus four for Republicans. And that's in a, you know, the best electoral climate I think they could have imagined and they weren't able to win, say for Sherrod Brown. Um, do you think Democrats pay attention to this state in 2020, the, the presidential Democrats? Because I get the feeling that, um, I don't, I don't want to say Ohio's a lost cause or anything like that, but... You know, those results speak for themselves, especially when you look at, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, that those do look like more fertile ground, Um, even Nevada, Arizona, like some of those Western states. So setting aside the Ohio question just for a second, I think that the 2018 election shows that Democrats do have a path to victory in 2020, Um, you know, after 2016. uh, there's always like this, this apocalyptic kind of feeling that the loser party has where it's like, this is the game changer. It's, you know, the map is now set permanently yeah, or whatever, right. you know, but in 2008, it was the end of Republicans. And then they just happened to take over literally every branch of government. Right. So, yeah. You know. So these things obviously, uh, you know, swing back and forth wildly. But, you know, they, they won uh, Arizona. Um, or it looks like they're going to win the Senate seat in Arizona. They picked up uh, all the congressional seats in California. They won uh, everything that mattered in Nevada. And that's kind of like, you know, California's own thing, but that's the Southwest and, and you know, obviously um, making things interesting in Texas. I mean, so just that whole group, um, not to speak of the success they had here in the Midwest besides Ohio. Um, so, I mean, it seems like certain states are going to be in play. Again, it's it's a lot of the same states as always. Um, and so I think it's, you no know, you know, it's like a kind of a conventional map in 2020, probably. I guess I look at it and Democrats have a path to victory for the presidency, but it doesn't seem to me to go through Ohio. It seems like Ohio is maybe a detour on that route. And, I mean, you know, you can't take anything for granted, right? I think Hillary Clinton obviously showed that. 
but let's say they do get uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania back under their wing. I mean, does it make more sense to go for Ohio where you had this kind of margin, or does it make more sense to spend all your time in Florida where it was a really tight race, or maybe to go try to pick up Arizona or even Georgia for that matter where Democrats kept it pretty close. Uh, Stacey Abrams kept it pretty close in that governor's race. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised, frankly, if the Democrats made a big focus in Ohio. I mean, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, we we we're going to just give that state up. We don't care or whatever, And yeah. especially depending who they nominate. I think we'll go a long way towards whether they think they can talk to voters here. But um, I think it was Tom Suttis uh, who actually wrote uh, in a sort of like postmortem of the election that it seems like Ohio is looking more like Indiana. And I mean, Democrats aren't going to the mat in Indiana in 2020. And I'm so, you know, it's this kind of like philosophical question that we've been tackling throughout this whole podcast, but you got to look at the evidence and it says that Ohio's drifting right. Um, you know, you saw Democrats have a big comeback in the Midwest in 2018, but, um, you know, Ohio doesn't seem to be one of those states, which is kind of weird as somebody who's grown up here that you kind of always think of it as being kind of right leaning, but not totally off the map. So yeah. I guess we'll have to find something else to talk about at parties or something like that in the future, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about some of the candidates for just a second, I guess. Um, the, the logical place to start is maybe with um, Ohio's own candidates. We might have as many as three, I think, that we came up with. So obviously most prominently is going to be Sherrod Brown. Um, you know, despite saying, I'm not thinking about running, I'm not thinking about running, I'm not thinking about running. I don't know. I must have asked him about it at least a half dozen times. I'm sure every other reporter in the state did as well. Um, really just a couple days after the election, he's like, oh, I'm thinking about it now, you know? <laughs> and even, you know, the night of the election, yeah. uh, he's like, well, that's, you know, the dignity of, not, you know, thank God I still have not broken out into my Sherrod Brown impression. So, but yeah. I, I, I'm going to try to hold to that pledge to not do that on tape. But yeah. um, on the election night, he said, because of the dignity of work, we want in a place like Ohio. And that's the path forward in 2020. You know, so, you, and, you and me talked about this whole uh, notion of the path forward, and Jared Brown sort of talked about it. But uh, if you look at his election, it seems like the path forward for Democrats is to outspend your opponent nine to one and not have <laughs> your opponent really run any kind of campaign. Yeah, Jim Renacci's got some thoughts about that. He's been sharing on Facebook today and, you know, pretty much anybody who listened apparently over the last few weeks. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, he does offer this kind of uh, contrast. You know, everybody's said it since uh, 2016 that, oh, Sherrod's the you know, the working class Democrat that people need or, you know, the Democrats need, I guess, not necessarily people. Um, you know, he can go toe to toe with Trump on trade and all this stuff. But, you know, I get to wondering, does how much does the trade stuff really matter? Like, I feel like the trade stuff was maybe a foot in the door, like got him listening to the guy and the rest of the stuff is really what fires him up, the the immigration talk and all of that. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think? I know for me that a big part of my conception of 2016 was that Trump's positions on trade would basically help him bridge the gap with sort of like the natural cultural conservatism that a lot of the sort of like, you know, quote unquote, blue collar voters in Ohio that might traditionally be Democrats, you know, that went up crossing over for him. So I was kind of thinking like in 2018, without Hillary Clinton being there, who I talked to voters who basically associated her with NAFTA. Um, so I thought, oh, Hillary Clinton's gone now. And so that means that maybe things will revert back to normal a little bit. But you saw in the election that uh, the uh, Mike DeWine, of all people, overperformed in the Valley, which mm -hmm. just says to me that that, you know, it's kind of off the board. Um, I mean, obviously not completely. And I do think that Sherrod would do well with those kinds of people. Um, so if you're a Democrat, you have to ask yourself, like, how many eggs do we want to put in the basket of winning Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, if, you, if they win Ohio, if they, you know, if they help block uh, Trump's uh, path through the Midwest, which I think is his path to in 2020. It's a narrow path, but um, so maybe you you calculate that Sherrod Brown helps you 
get there. And so it's not just Ohio, but it's Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and maybe Minnesota. Um, but on the other hand, um, do we really think that Sherrod Brown can make it through a Democratic primary? I mean, God, it's what? How many people are we talking about now? Yeah, you know, that's the question I've been asking myself this entire time. Like, there are so many kind of factors that go into this. One, let's say Sherrod runs and Sherrod wins, you know, for either president or vice president, right? Because I think he'd make a pretty strong running mate as well. Um, all of a sudden, that's the Democrats saying we're willing to give up a Senate seat. That means that Democrats run the risk of letting Republicans keep nominating their judges and all that, and basically sort of maybe seeding that they're willing to risk the Senate for the chance of the presidency, right? Yeah, and 2022 is a good map for Democrats, so, yeah. you know. So, but but that's still a hurdle. I mean, because it's a huge risk to take, right? Like it's not, an, and it's not a calculated risk at any stretch. Right. It's you know, it's very much a risk reward kind of thing. Um, but the other stuff, I mean, just look at some like look at the slate of candidates that are probably going to be coming out. You've got a lot of women who are going to be running. You've got quite a few minorities who are probably also going to be running. I mean, Sherrod Brown is an old white dude. Like you know, that's just kind of the way the Democratic Party is trending right now, right? The they kind of like, um, you know, quote unquote, new and exciting candidates. Is Sherrod new and exciting, though? I mean, a lot of people don't know who he is, but, you know, I'm not, you can't argue that he's new. You, you, yeah. I mean, I guess he's like, is he exciting? Like, uh. yeah, you know, and it's, you know, especially when you have the likes of uh, some of the more firebrand types who are probably going to jump in. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand being one. Uh, Cory Booker is probably going to get in. Elizabeth Warren. Uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke might throw his hat into the ring as well. Um, is there room for him to win that primary with those kind of um, politicians in there? Yeah, but the argument for him is that I think that he can't actually talk to voters like the kinds of, you know, the the elusive working white class voter um uh in a way that isn't condescending you know it's it's under it's understandable like he's uh sherrod is kind of professorial but he does it in a way that again doesn't sound like you're being lectured or anything like that so i think as a messenger he would be a really good candidate but we also have seen let's say they make him a vice president i mean he's stumped for hillary clinton quite a bit in 2016 and that, i mean how much does it really matter so i, I yeah. just i'm never really convinced that you know who your vice president is really matters unless they um, make some kind of, you know, very uh, sharp contrast with the nominee, like yeah. a Sarah Palin or something like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and you just kind of brought it up, uh, you know, you m mentioned the white working class, right? That was the, all the talk after the 2016 election is the white working class. The Democrats have to figure out the white working class. Well, there's been this, I think we've seen it. There's been this kind of shift in where Democratic and Republican votes come from. And I don't know if it's permanent or anything like that, but uh, Republicans really took a lot of the working class votes. If you look at any of the, you know, kind of you know, exit polls, which aren't, you know, the most refined or anything like that. But um, Republicans are really ingrained with the working class right now, whereas some of the suburbs are trending you know a little more and this is nationwide not just ohio are uh, trending toward the democrats so it's like you know is a working class hero what puts them over the line or is it someone who's going to connect with some of those you know more suburban types or maybe even the youth or anything like that um that's kind of the big question to me about brown um also uh, we also saw the divorce allegations come up in the senate race um i don't th i don't know that that's a disqualifier or anything like that but it certainly doesn't help you in you know kind of post me too movement and all that right like um you know jim renacy just wasn't a good candidate so it didn't become a bigger issue but it doesn't become a bigger issue on a national stage especially when you're running against as many as what a half dozen women for the presidency right yeah and there was also the uh renacy made the really strange decision to 
publicize basically like a tip that his office got, you know, supposedly from women who had had allegations to make against Sherrod. And we have absolutely no way to judge whether or not they're real. Um, we can't reach them. We don't know who they are. But that being said, if I'm a national democratic strategist trying to think of how to thread the needle, um, do I want to potentially bring somebody in who might be a liability there? Mm -hmm. I mean, so again, it's not, um, uh, we don't really make any sort of representation one way or the other about the facts or the truth of that stuff. But at the same time, um, Democrats, uh, you know, or presidential politics is really high stakes and, you know, you do want to make sure that you have the right guy. So I don't know. So let's do this. Uh, yes or no, is Sherrod going to run? I am going to say yes. I'm saying yes, too. All right. Let's get to the next one, right? Uh, we'll, get, we'll go ahead and stick with the Democrats, but, uh, you know, Congressman Tim Ryan has expressed a little bit of interest in running, and— He's expressed interest in a lot of things over yeah, the years, I mean, what, to be clear. Yeah, let's—you know, he's always interested in running, but then, you know, never does, I guess, is the way to put that. Um, but, I mean, he's talked about it before, and obviously he made a play for the speakership. He It doesn't look like he's going to run for Pelosi's seat this time around. Um, I haven't heard—I haven't seen anything about him running for any kind of House leadership— does he bring anything to the table as a presidential candidate? Well, let me kind of like try to paraphrase his sort of pitch about himself. And I guess you can think about whether you think it's sort of a real thing or not. So there's the whole calculation again about the working class voters that Sherrod kind of does, I guess, because, you know, Tim Ryan represents a Mahoning Valley district. It's a strongly Democratic district, which is why he won. Um, and he's going to say, oh, hey, I won in Ohio in a place that, you know, Mike DeWine, yada, yada, yada. But it's a Democratic gerrymandered district. Um but then also he has his whole mindfulness thing where he's, you know, I'm also going to reach out to the suburban yoga mom, you know, like, which is uh, it's so like, I feel like a marketer or something like that. It's like a micro targeting, you know, but so he, he believes that he might be able to bridge the gap with the blue collar areas as well as sort of like the suburban woman area, which, you know, it's funny this, um, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. No, keep going. I think I think the suburban woman is kind of like this year's maybe white working class voter. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of you know uh, exposure to the to the suburban woman you know in the in the coming years. Yeah, it's all about. Uh, um, I don't know. We always look at like some demographic. Like in 2016, it was supposed to be the uh, Hispanic voter, and then in 2018, it was supposed to be the white working class, and now it's the you know the suburban white woman. So yeah. I, I don't know what demographic we're all going to pay attention to here in the. Uh, um, you know, the next two years. But so I guess, you know, so do you think that, oh, and the, and the last thing, um, he thinks that Democrats should kind of frame their progressive policies as being good for business. Like he has this whole pitch where he came out for Medicare for all. He says that businesses say healthcare is one of the most unpredictable expenses, which I guess they can almost predict that'll go up every year. But he says, oh, well, if the government pays for it, then it's kind of off your books. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So he's the business friendly mindful suburban woman yoga practitioner appealing blue collar guy um so there you go that's it what all right so so he he definitely has some kind of message that maybe could resonate but who's he telling his message to i mean he's a congressman like you know i don't want to take away from that i mean it, it, it's hard to become a congressman but you're one of 435 as a bit of trivia let's go ahead and do this right now uh do you know who the last president elected directly from the house of representatives was we've done this before and i can never remember what the answer is this is where you need richard cordray you know like mm. but uh J james garfield no further i'll give you one abraham more. abraham lincoln no he's the senator wasn't he 
He was a state representative. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm done. John Quincy Adams. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's basically like the founding fathers all traded offices for like 25 years. Basically. So, right? He, you know, yeah, he famously like went back and served in the House after he was president right. and whatnot, which you just wouldn't see today. Um, the point of that is uh, congressmen don't get elected president. It just doesn't happen. It's not a thing. It hasn't been a thing for 200 years. And, you know, I guess if he's going to run, it's going to be to maybe boost his profile to. Uh, I, I don't know, like run against Rob Portman in 2022 for Senate or something. I mean, I just don't see where labor secretary, is. like I'm kind of sure. aiming a little lower. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. Although I will say, I do think that Tim Ryan would have been a stronger, you know, arguably a stronger governor nominee this year as, sort, yeah. as far as just like cutting a contrast with DeWine, you know? So, I mean, I, I don't want to completely uh, poo poo the idea of him running statewide. No, no, I, I don't think it has anything to do with Tim Ryan himself. I think it has everything to do with, who knows who Tim Ryan is outside of Ohio and maybe the people who pay a little more, you know, the people who pay attention to Congress a little more closely. Um, it's really hard to get your name out there when you're a congressman. I mean, arguably in the past, what, decade, the two congressmen who've maybe gotten their message out the most on the presidential scale is, what, Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's a and, very auspicious company. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... <laughs> Um, neither of them had any real success. I mean, I guess, you know, Ron Paul will sell you gold now or whatever. And, uh, Dennis Kucinich is doing speeches for like, you know, Bashar al-Assad sympathizers and, and you know, Bitcoin. Bitcoin yachts. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't seem like there's a, a big future there. Yeah. Um, plus I think, you know, one of the big reasons besides the fact that there's so many Congress people and it's difficult to distinguish yourself is just like, you know, your donor base is just so small. And the amount of money you have to run to raise to run for president is so big. Yeah. And I just, you know, so if nothing else, I just don't see how Tim Ryan, um, just logistically, how he actually ends up running for president and winning. I just can't conceive of it. Well, and especially because, like we just mentioned, he's from the same state as Jared. And I'm sure that most, if not all, Tim Ryan voters are probably Sherrod Brown voters. And who do they break for? You know, with a car coming at him down the road, like the the valley might. You can break. only pick one. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the va Well, in the primary, you can. You can only pick one. So let's say you know, in a in a pool of twenty presidential candidates, who's going to pull the votes? Is it going to be Sherrod Brown or is it going to be Tim Ryan? I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. I don't want to say it's impossible or anything. I just it seems incredibly unlikely to me. Okay, so is Tim Ryan going to run? Yes or no? Uh, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> that's a question mark with a bunch of periods after it i think uh and this is just my two cents coming from like uh you know where politics is at right now i think he would be much smarter to maybe not make a play at nancy pelosi but make a play for one of those leadership positions um you know i don't know if it ends up being majority leader or whip or whatever um, if he really does have kind of like higher office aspirations, then it makes sense to get into one of those leadership spots because one, gets you some profile. Uh, two, it introduces you to a whole new class of fundraisers and whatnot. So that would just be my thought on that, I guess. Yeah, it's I think like the runway is running out for Tim Ryan um, the, with redistricting and Ohio's expected to lose at least one congressional seat. Um, I'd be concerned about that if I were him. Um, so I just don't know what his political future is. And I think that's going to actually force him to make a decision and actually run for president or what have you. But, yeah. but he does have to start thinking about what's he going to do in the future. I think um, that's a reality for him. You know, you mentioned um, possibly a cabinet secretary post. That's That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, I think Tim Ryan would be like a, 
a solid endorsement for anybody running for president and maybe you know something like that could be in the yeah cards. yeah absolutely like you know through this whole i don't, I don't want to make it seem like we're just dumping on tim ryan here tim Plus ryan we'd love to have him on the yeah show, yeah so. i mean tim, tim ryan is you know he's a perfectly capable congressman he's obviously been able to make more of a name for himself than most other members of congress um um, you could say maybe Steve Stivers because he previously ran the NRCC, but he also had to step down after the bloodbath that was the House the other night. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, he's perfectly capable. It's just like everything is stacked up against him. I just don't see it this time around. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. I think we can agree that Tim Ryan is an unlikely contender in 2020. Speaking of unlikely contenders in 2020, um, John Kasich uh, is the third Ohioan who might run for president. And basically, like, do you want to just ask the question if he's going to run or do you want to save that for later? We can go ahead and do it now. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so here's how I look at this. Um, you know, John Kasich has the profile right now because he keeps going on the Sunday shows and goes on, you know, CNN and MSNBC whenever. And he's trying to, like, pitch to the middle and all that. I just I don't see it though. It it's not in Ohio. I can't imagine him. I can't imagine any scenario where he like is anybody clamoring for John Kasich in the Republican Party. Is there any like is there a big movement to have John Kasich run for president? I don't see it. So in the Republican Party, is there a big clamoring? I, no. I mean, the Republican yeah. Party is Donald Trump now. So yeah, yeah, that's so he's you know he doesn't have the infrastructure as far as the party infrastructures go, because most of the state parties, I mean, at least in this state, and I'm sure in the other states as well, are going to be more geared to, um, you know, President Trump. I believe it was the head of the Iowa Republican Party basically said, if John Kasich tries to primary Trump, we might have to endorse for the first time in our history, right? Um, you know, yeah, he's playing up in New Hampshire a little bit down there, but let's keep in mind that he lost New Hampshire in He came in second, Seth. He came in second. <laughs> Second, you don't, you know, second is not a winner in politics. It's just not. And he lost to Donald Trump, who walked in there handily. Now, you know, he's had some problems up there in the Northeast with calling it like a drug-infested den and whatnot. But is that enough to, you know, are those scandals and how people feel about Donald Trump, you know, specifically Republicans, is that enough to carry John Kasich to any kind of significant victory in 2020 i just don't see it. i don't see where the states are i don't see the you know the map i don't see the map working yeah i mean you kind of hear that you know your question about whether there's clamoring in the republican party i would see it much more likely that Kasich would run as an independent and i'm not really basing that off of any specific knowledge of what his plans are or anything like that but let's just kind of play that out i mean i think that um you know you would just kind of consider him to be a spoiler because basically what he'd do is split off Republican votes and, you know, tilt the election to Democrats. I mean, so that's not really... <laughs> I don't know that he would be a spoiler. For oh, you don't think so? I don't think so. Not for... Not you think for... he might eat Democrat votes? I think he's more likely to eat 
an anti-Trump vote than he is to eat a Trump vote. Um, I, I mean, obviously Republicans show they'll vote for him. Like they, you know, you know, the, the whole notion of like, Oh, hold your nose and vote for the guy or whatever, anything like that. Like it's true. It worked in 2016. I mean, I don't know any other way to explain it. Like obviously the guy can get votes, you know, he, you know, the Republicans lost pretty handily kind of nationwide, but they performed really strongly in a lot of States too. I mean, you look at, some of those like swingier states like Bill Nelson was up in the polls in Florida going in. And I mean, it looks like he's not going to eke that one out. They barely won Arizona, which is trending in a kind of different way. But you look at like uh, you look at Missouri and Indiana and, uh, you know, some of those other states uh, in the Senate and Democrats just got blown out of the water there. Like, obviously, he's got voters. He's got a coalition that it's there. It exists. So I don't see I mean, what what does the map look like? The only I guess the only feasible scenario I can come up with right now where John Kasich is able to be successful in a Republican primary is if some of these uh, Democratic legislatures that recently you know, just came into uh, power, if they pass some kind of law that says you can't run for president unless you uh, submit your tax returns or something, then yeah, there's an opening because Donald Trump could conceivably not be on the ballot in some of these states. Now, I think, you know, there's a way around that. You just end up having a caucus that's outside of the, you know, outside of the state uh, functions. Right. Yeah, we're kind of jumping through some hoops. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's so many hoops that you have to go through to make it, like, a viable candidacy. And, I mean, as an independent, like, look at the independents who've run. They've been wealthy people. Like, they're not... Yeah, I mean, Kasich has donors. And if nothing else, you know, Les Wexner has said that he no longer supports Republican. And I I think... You know, Kasich will have a, a, basically. The, I think he'll have the basic infrastructure of what he would need to run for president. But yeah. once again, I think in 2016 he's basically holding out for saying, you know, oh, this whole Trump thing, this is going to just like sink the Republican Party, and you know, Trump won. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2018, you know, I think again it was hinging on the idea that there's this huge blue wave and Republicans get massacred in the suburbs, which sort of happened, but we got kind of like a fairly tempered. I mean, it was obviously a good night for Democrats, but it wasn't like you know, um, a, a clear rebuke of Trump that's just completely going to kind of change the conception of who he is electorally. I mean, it just it's it was sort of a mixed bag. I, I think it would have been, and again, this is all pure speculation. I haven't talked with him or anybody in the know who knows exactly what he's doing. Um, I think, you know, in every move that I've seen John Kasich make, it seems to point to him running as a Republican. I mean, he only endorsed Republicans during the 2018 cycle, despite... Uh, you know, congratulating Democrats essentially for taking the House from Republicans the day after the election. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just don't see many moves that seem to indicate like he's going for an independent run when, you know, you got to have this. If the whole theory to his candidacy is he's going to be the guy who brings everyone together, both sides and all that, where's the both sides? Like where where's the other side that he's bringing in? Because it just looks like he's kind of catering to you know, the country club Republicans at this point. Right. And, and you know, Donald Trump, um, if the Republican Party is a party of Trump, the Republican Party did great in Ohio in 2018. I mean, you know, and a lot of the sort of armchair analysis is that the president helped basically kind of like, you know, whip up the, the base to basically match the increase in enthusiasm from the Democrats. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's another good point that I think if um, Republicans, especially in this state, had lost just, you know, handily, yeah, that would have been a, a yeah. decent argument for Kasich to I, I think he, build something off he of. He could have easily made the case that, like, well, you know, you guys abandoned me, and now look where you're at. And But that's not the case. They won up and down the ticket. The only one 
who uh, didn't win was basically Jim Renacci. And I always go back to John Kasich should have run for the Senate, which maybe he loses yeah. in a Republican primary, but I think he probably gets through based on his name, ID strength. And, Most likely, yeah. And I think he beats, or at least, uh, I, you know, I've, I, I've debated this with people, and I feel like I'm on John Kasich for Senate Island a little bit, but yeah. I think he definitely makes it a, a competitive Senate race um, more interesting. But my, I guess my point is that it probably would have been smarter if John Kasich wants to make a case that people are going to vote for me if I'm on the ballot to actually appear on the ballot and yeah. give people a chance to vote for him. Yeah. You know, instead of kind of making these weird kind of like, um, oh, it was my endorsement to help push Mike DeWine over the top, not the president or, you know, okay. Yeah. And it, it would have been a clear cut. I, I agree. He probably makes it through the primary. I, I can't see, even in a Republican primary, I can't see where he loses or anything like that. I think it's very likely that maybe he beats Sherrod. Honestly, I mean, you know, Republicans have obviously shown that they will vote for a Kasich-esque candidate in Mike DeWine, who's, you know, about as Kasich as you can. I mean, he was kind of Kasich before Kasich in a way, right? Um, but the, the you don't have any test case now. He's got nothing to say like, oh, well, I did this. It's all this abstract thought. It's, you know, oh, well, I endorsed Troy Balderson and Troy Balderson ended up winning just barely. And, you know, that's what put him over the edge. And I mean, you can you can make those claims, but, you know, who the hell knows? Like he there's, there's nothing on paper that shows him, you know. Right. So. Um, so, again, I think we. We're pretty set on Kasich is running. We just don't know where he's running. I'm going to say Republican. I'm going to say independent. Maybe. Independent. All yeah. right. Okay. So be, feel free, everybody, to like call us out on the, these when we're wrong in like six months or anything. Yeah, like my, my predictions are impeccable, so I do not envision that not happening at all. But. Do, do we want to run down some of the other candidates? Uh, who do we think is going to be strong in 2020, um, both in Ohio and nationally? Oh. <sighs> You know, that <laughs> I don't know that I do. I mean, it's just, I think the field's so wide open that it's kind of like, you know, whoever you think it's going to be. I don't know who the Jeb Bush of this field is, right? But mm -hmm. like, you know, that where was Donald Trump on that list? So I just, it's, uh, God knows where we're not going to see it coming. But. You, did, you did see that Hillary Clinton is possibly considering another run, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Great. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, I think uh, I think one lesson that maybe Democrats can learn, and I don't know how how much it'll matter in Ohio, is um, you know the whole notion of like oh candidates matter and whatnot, right? Of course that's true, but I think if you look at some of the races that they made competitive, um, they really had no reason to be competitive. Um, Texas Senate with Beto, uh, Georgia Governor with Stacey Abrams. I think that's a pretty good roadmap for 2020 if uh, Democrats want to be successful. I don't know how successful that strategy could be in Ohio, though. I honestly don't. I, I There's not the youth population here and all that. Um, it's a pretty, uh, you know, working class white state, so... Yeah, I think it'll it'll potentially be in play, especially if the economy gets soft. But I don't think it's Democrats' first card that they're you know going to reach for. Absolutely. So last topic, um, we uh, you had an interesting story about the Ohio Democratic Party last week, didn't you? Yeah, it was. I mean, you could call it that. Um, it is definitely my my phone hasn't stopped ringing to say the least. Uh, so you know, I asked around after the election, as I think probably most people do right whenever a party suffers significant losses you again again um you know back-to-back -back losses in years where democrats felt like they really had the upper hand um you know i started just asking around what's uh, what's david pepper's future with the party is he sticking around or are they staying the course because uh, going into tuesday you know everybody was pumping up expectations where hey you know we might not win the governor's race but the down tickets should be split we might pick up a congressional race sherrod's gonna win and um, all they really have to show for it statewide is 
Sherrod Brown won in, you know, his Senate race and two Supreme Court justices, which, you know, we could debate the merits over whether or not that's, you know, because of the Democratic Party or anything like that. So, you know, I just called around and I talked to some pretty high up folks um, who were part of the uh, the 2018 cycle. And um, it just seems like they're, and, you know, chaos maybe isn't the right word, um, but just a lot of dysfunction going on at the party. Um, and no one really blamed David Pepper for any of that as far as, like, David Pepper causing the dysfunction. But they said that he kind of enabled it. And I don't know. Um, I haven't gotten any rumbling since then that he's 100% on the chopping block or his his termination is imminent or anything like that. But you do have to wonder, I mean, going into 2020 or, you know, especially if Sherrod's thinking about running for president, um, is, is it just going to be a clean house and Sherrod's going to take over the party and basically remake it in his image? Yeah, I mean, he's tried that before and failed. So, and I don't know enough to know exactly like the inner workings of the pro, like the machinations of actually taking over the state party. Um, I think he should, you know, he obviously, um, has the most political power of any Democrat in Ohio. He obviously has a message that's a unique brand that he can offer. Um, he's got people who kind of are following his footsteps a little bit. You got Nan Whaley, you got, uh, Chase Rittenauer and Lorraine. I mean, you know, and there, you basically have these kind of like middle, middle sized Democrat mayors that could be basically be the people who would kind of, you know, run his image and stuff like that. So, um, uh, it's, David Pepper is a nice guy. Um, you know, it's I don't have the reporting to really call into question any specific decision that he made, but I just I think it goes back to the fact that you lose two elections in a row. Um, you know, especially this one where it's just such a bitter disappointment. And I think you know there has to kind of be a fall guy for it. Um, and you know, clearly what they're doing isn't working. So you know, even when they had basically the win at their backs this time, or at least the closest they're going to get probably in this generation. I mean, Democrats in this state haven't proved that they can win without Barack Obama on the ballot. You look back to all of the elections since, what, 2008, and yeah, they did well in 2008, they got creamed in 2010, they did okay in 2012, and they've gotten smoked in 2014, 2016, and 2018 now. Now they made some, you know, some gains here and there uh, this year. Like I said, the uh, Supreme Court justices, I don't want to completely write that off. Yeah, they were nonpartisan on the ballot, though, yeah, so yeah. you're basically picking two names. Yeah. Um, Which one, you know, sounds more Irish. Yeah, one won a couple of state house seats. So, uh, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at, though. They also lost a state Senate seat. Joe Schiavone's seat over there in uh, the Mahoning Valley, incidentally, um, is going to be represented by a Republican for the first time. in I think it was like 60 years. Um, and I don't know. At some point, do you have to say, well, Sherrod is the only one who's had any success as a Democrat in this state. Everybody else has just gotten obliterated. Um, you know, at some point, I think they're going to have to say, like, we just got to follow his lead. Like, whatever he's doing is working. He's selling it, and people are buying it, and they're not buying anything else. Yeah, the the path forward for the Democratic Party in Ohio is just so bleak. Um, you know, Sherrod, like we said earlier, had the luck of the draw with basically having a weak candidate. You know, Sherrod has a brand that he's built up for 40 years by appearing on the ballot over and over again. You know, you hear all about the constituent services and kind of the personal touch, like the retail politics that he does. And he's... You can't just like drop that out of, you know, you can't bottle that and give it to someone else and then suddenly you have it. I mean, it's it's something you have to work for. So, um, but, you know, the, the Republican Party once again showed the infrastructure that they have at the party building level is just vastly superior. They had a micro-targeting operation that helped them take what was looked like a close race and made it a 
you know, not super close race, but, um, you know, basically, uh, eke it out and, um, and they have stable, you know, party leadership. They have, uh, Bob Paducek at the Republican national committee. They have Jane Timken, who's, you know, solidified her position as a state party chair and what the Democrats have. It's like, Oh, like, um, they're talking about fundamental political strategy again. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football and missing again. I mean, yeah. it's just or groundhog day or whatever, you know? So. Yeah. I would say that the only, um, yeah, I will say it, it comes down to how Democrats view themselves going forward because, do you view the gains, the slight gains made in 2018 as chipping away at a bigger problem? Like, is that what you're saying? I mean, if so, you're going to be chipping for quite some time. You know, it's all going to come down to for the Democrats, like, what is the path they want to take going forward? Um, do they want to try to shake things up and, uh, you know, maybe try a different route? Or do they want to, do they view Tuesday's results and the small gains they made as, uh, kind of chipping away at sort of their bigger problem. Um, you know, people are rarely rarely patient in politics is kind of what I've seen. Um, to your point about ORP, though, um, you know, I tweeted this out, I think, the night of the election. I've lived in, um, I lived in two machine states before this. Uh, Nevada and Illinois both have very strong kind of Democratic machines. And I think it's pretty safe to call the Ohio Republican Party a well-oiled Republican machine in this state. That's what elections are about, right? I mean, whoever wins gets to make the policy. So they keep winning. So I don't see any reason for them to switch up their game plan anytime soon. You saw the Democratic candidates were well-funded. You know, I think Act Blue is a big part of that. Um, you know, small dollar donor base, you know, helping uh, provide resources to the candidates. And some of them had donor networks to tap into and stuff like that. But, like, I don't think they knew what to do with the money. Um, and then, but behind the Ohio Republican Party is the Republican National Committee, where it's super well-funded. Um, they have long-standing infrastructure investments they've made here. They have field people who have been working here for years. Um and so, you know, the Democrats had the money. Maybe they didn't know what to do with it. You know, the Republicans knew exactly what they were doing. And so I think that, you know, success just begets more success when it comes to just, if nothing else, like the operative talent, the, the opportunities that are available here for people in politics. If you're a smart, young Democratic operative, like, where do you work in Ohio? <laughs> yeah. You know? you know, and that's, that. Uh, it is kind of the cyclical thing. I had this discussion with someone last week. Um, you look at the Republican candidates for office this time around, and I believe most of the campaign managers and top staff were all Ohio people, for the most part, uh, with the notable exception of Jim Renacci, who lost. Mm -hmm. And you look at it kind of on the flip side, and a lot of the uh, top campaign operatives, you know, especially at the top of the ticket, were from out of state, with the exception of basically Sherrod Brown. And I don't know if that says anything, but it, it, it I don't know, it, it seems like there's a picture there that, you know, these people know Ohio, so therefore they know how to win elections. And I just, I don't think the Democrats really have that on their side right now. It's hard to see it. So I, I guess we're kind of wrapping up with all the things we have to talk about for the rest of the year. Um, you know, we're going to kind of get back to the drawing board and start planning out our future coverage. You know, me going down to Columbus and Seth, you know, looking forward to 2020 and stuff like that. So if you guys have any ideas, that you, things you'd like to see or any feedback about the show or future guests or anything like that, um, you know, we, we've run through like... We'd love to get Tim Ryan on the show. We'd love to get Governor Kasich, uh, you know, which we yeah. kind of always say that. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm, there, there are plenty of other people that we could potentially draw from. But yes, yeah, so we're all yours if you have any thoughts about kind of what you'd like to see from us moving forward. Yeah, we'd, uh, we'd love to hear feedback. We tell you at the beginning of the show, um, like I said, we're going to be dark for, um, you know, a couple months at least probably while we recharge the batteries and sort of get everything in order. But 
in the meantime, we both want to hear from you listeners about, uh, one, who you want to see on the show, uh, two, anything else you want to see on the show. I mean, do you want us to, you know, we've experimented with a number of different things here, you know, regarding like the Cuyahoga County corruption scandal. Um, you know, we dove into women in politics quite a bit. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to see? We're open to suggestions. We, uh, we definitely want to kind of tailor this to our listeners. So we had that suggestion from a, from a listener about the, do it, digging into the 2014 election. And I was interested in that, but I kind of feel like it's kind of kicking the Democrats more while they're down. So I don't know. Maybe we'll do it, but I don't know. We might, the, we, we might have to explore more of the right, kind of like, but the that's the idea. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so because we've been dealing with, um, you know, a lot of heavy subjects lately and we, uh, you know, we always do try to end these things on a light note. Um, I, I want to tell everyone that Andrew and I did go to the Chiefs-Browns game a couple of weeks ago where the Chiefs absolutely dominated. I am a Chiefs fan. And I, I want to ask Andrew as our parting question, who do you think is going to be in the Super Bowl? This year? This year. <sighs> You know, again, my predictions are a little bit have run off course here and there, so I don't know. I am interested in the beleaguered Browns fans' take on who is going to be in the Super Bowl. So, you know, maybe maybe it's the kiss of death, so take that with a grain of salt. But Chiefs, man, like, uh, they're going to have to get through the Patriots, but who are kind of like the Death Star, and you know, but at the same time, uh, Tom Brady's a year older. You know, they've got... and who knows like the the discarded players that bill belichick has cobbled his roster together with this year but uh you know chiefs man they're they're going there i i'm i'm all in the chiefs and then i guess uh on the nfc side um the rams you know two kind of up-and-coming offensive heavy teams and i'm gonna be totally wrong but that's that's where i'm going right now all right playing it a little safe i believe we've got a a monday night football with that coming up. my dark horse prediction uh browns went out you know, finish the season nine, six and one, nine, six and one run the table. Super Bowl. Yeah. Baker Mayfield MVP. All right. We'll, we'll see how is Baker Mayfield going to win the rookie of the year. Um, I hope I'm so. going to, I'm going to save you some time. He's not, it's going to be Saquon Barkley, but like, hopefully he's still on the Browns roster by the time the uh, Jersey that I ordered arrives in the mail. <laughs> he just needs to make it about a month, right? Or, or two maybe. or two. Right. Yeah. So, um, thank you everybody for listening to the show over the past few months. Um, you know, we tried to make it so that if you missed an episode, you can go back and you can listen to the interviews. They're pretty evergreen. Uh, that was always our goal with this. And, um, I think we did a fairly good job of it obviously as of late we've talked a little more about the election and kind of news of the day stuff um we do want to get back into the swing of that when we start next season but we really appreciate everybody making this um i don't know i think it's been very successful i've had a lot of fun doing it and i look forward to doing it next year me too with that thank you everybody for listening to the first season of ohio matters and we will see all of you in 2019